If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Just to recap, last episode, chapter six. We were talking about the path of good and evil, and all the examples were of individuals like Eve, Cain, the things that they did wrong. (laughs) So last week, it sounded like the path to evil went viral. Correct. The problem was that everyone was on the wrong path. Like in verse five, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So the consequence of that is death for everyone but Noah, who was not evil. And then in verse six, 12, God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. So I never thought about that before the escalation of evil and how bad it really could be and how bad it got quickly. Awful. And the sign, the story is really a warning sign on our path. We can use the example in this story to get on a different path, but we must get on a different path. We know what we should do, yet we do the opposite. We know we should eat broccoli, yet all we crave is chocolate. Exactly. Number one question for God when I get there, could chocolate have please or could broccoli please have tasted like chocolate? Exactly. Why? But also we don't want to be like the people in Noah's time and be constantly hearing the truth, going to church or whatever and, and ignoring it. They ignored the warning signs and the words that Noah spoke to them. He told them to repent that there would be a flood and um, or at least we assume he did because he was told to. And and then they ended up, you know, reaping the consequences of that. So we have the Bible to give us the warning signs to tell us what to do. And we have to listen. But in order to do that, you need to be in the Word. That's why we read every word That's in this podcast. Every word at the end of every lesson, you should know, I read a whole chapter. In this case, today, you're going to read a chapter and a half because to cover this epic flood, we're going to cover Genesis 7 through 8, 18. And I want to point out that this really isn't a children's story. It's how most of us think about it because it makes such a great toy or book for children. You know, the cute little pairs of animals and the wooden boat. It's very organic and cute. But the story is really an epic tragedy. Very grown up story. (laughs) Totally. So epic. It really makes the Titanic scene, Titanic story seem mild. What a good movie. I know, but it was a really graphic movie. And that's how I think about this chapter. This chapter uh, that we're going to read is very carefully detailed, but in my opinion, very detached description of destruction. And we can't read it as detached because it really was uh, the most epic uh, wiping out of humanity to date until, like we said last week, there will be a second coming and that will be the judgment and that will be a fire and not a flood. So as we start chapter seven, I want us to look first at what God said. And here is what he said. Chapter seven, verse one. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, 
the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. So there you have God's instructions, pretty clear. And now this is what Noah did in response. Verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pretty simple. Noah did everything God commanded him. He built the ark and he got on board. Command from God, obedience from Noah. So the word obey is mentioned 206 times in the Bible. Big deal. You know, I like to look at how many times things are mentioned. It kind of gives, puts a weight to the word. Noah is a stark contrast in this chapter to Adam and Eve who did not obey. Well, and do you ever have a moment where God tells you to do something and you're just like, yeah, God, that's going to be really weird. I'm totally, I cannot say I that. Cannot, They're right? going to think I'm really weird. Could you, I just imagine that oh, Noah was probably like, a really freak. God? Like, <laughs> yeah. this is crazy, but he did it. Noah did everything exactly as God commanded. And that's one of my favorite lines. And I have it highlighted in my Bible because mm-hmm. could I just be like that? And people didn't just think he was a freak in one moment. This wasn't just one awkward moment. This was years of building this huge thing that nobody really understood what it was. Okay. So obedience is woven into the story of pretty much all of our Bible characters from Abraham to David, to Esther, to Ruth, to Nehemiah, to Peter, and to the ultimate at obedience, Jesus. It is at the core of our struggle to stay on the right path. It is at the core of every choice we make. Will we obey and do the right thing? All right. So God spoke, Noah responded. What did God do? So here in this next section is what God did in response to Noah's obedience. Verse eight of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on that day, all of the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah two and two of all flesh in which there was breath and life. And those that entered male and female of all the flesh went in as God had commanded them. And the Lord shut him in. I think it's so cool to hear how, you know, God gave a command, Noah responded, then God really did the rest. The animals went in. It doesn't say Noah ever had to catch them or lead them or anything. And then the Lord shut them in. So I just picture this huge door that they hadn't even thought about. How are we going to get it shut from inside? And the Lord did it. And that to me is huge because I have never had as monumental a task as this was, obviously. Noah lived to 600 years. There's no way I could build that ark. But it doesn't mean that we each don't have huge things to do in our lives. And 
I think so many times we think, oh, I have to do this and I know God wants me to do it, but how and we get overwhelmed or we get panicked or we literally just don't even stop. And yet that's where we see the miracles in those things is when we see God's participation. This happened to us in our life. One of the biggest things we ever had to do in our marriage was we, it's a crazy story. You can read about on the blog, but we ended up adopting two older children from Siberia. Listen, anything we planned, in fact, my husband wasn't even on board about adopting. It was just something that was dropped in our lap. And it was a long, huge story of adopting two kids that were the same age as the two children I had. And we had to go to Siberia for a month just to get them and leave our other three children here. There were three hurricanes, here, two hurricanes here while we were there. And over there, the Chechen bombed. Um, it was it was crazy. And the whole time, I just had such confidence. And God opened so many doors for this to happen. You were and like Noah and you just yes, did exactly it as was God step commanded. by step. It's it is a it's a collaboration. When God calls you to something, he collaborates with you. He does not leave you alone alone. And where you're weak, he's strong. And he brought people to us. He made it happen financially, with time, with and and even in the days after, it was not easy to integrate these two children, the same age as two of my existing children. The girl was 13. Can you imagine having a 13-year-old? No, I oh, yeah. cannot imagine. Heather has teens now. Can you imagine having a 13-year-old raised in the U.S. of privilege, my biological daughter, with a now new sister, two weeks older than her, who had had nothing from Siberia? It, they were about as opposite in, in their thinking and everything. It was it was chaos for a while. And so I'm just saying every step of the way I had to rely on God. We all have things in our life when we do that. The, the important thing is not to forget that he's there. And Noah didn't. It, nowhere does it say Noah's stressed about how are these animals going to come? Maybe he did question a lot. I'm sure he did. But he had faith to keep building, knowing that God would do as he said. And God did. God commanded the animals. Um, so God was an active participant in the ark and he is in your life even today. So look for that participation. So what is God calling you to? What exactly. is he asking you to do today? Well, right now he has called us to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and, we're being and, we, and we are being obedient, but we clearly often think, what are we doing? <laughs> we Genesis don't. alone has 52 chapters and we want to go on after that. <laughs> God's going to have to make us both live 600 years. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, next, let's read about, so now we covered what they each did. Let's talk about the flood. All right, verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. There's Birds, that sad part. I know it is sad, especially if you're an animal lover. Mm -hmm. Birds, livestock, Oh, beasts. don't worry about the people, Heather. I am worried about them all, <laughs> but I just think it's so crazy how God also killed all the animals who mm -hmm. weren't the ones being evil necessarily, were they? And God yeah. had no mercy. Right. So 
All right, I digress. No, I he continue. did have mercy. This is a story of mercy. He we'll did get have to mercy. mercy. He didn't in this moment, but he does have mercy. You're right. He sent Jesus. All right, continuing in verse 21. Livestock beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man, animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him on the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. Chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of the 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Arat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, their waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you in all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Oh, so much in there that we could dive into. Uh, the last few lines, again, pointing back to this is the beginning, just like Adam, be fruitful and multiply. And he's telling him, take the animals with you and I want them to be fruitful and multiply. So we have this second chance, this kind of second Adam kind of thing going on. So I want to cover the when and the what of what happened here. There's a lot we don't know about the story and cannot explain. And for most people, that is what makes the story so hard to believe is it just sounds fantastical. But this is what we do know. We do know how God would spare Noah. We covered this last week in a boat bigger than a football field, three stories high. We know how. This week, I want to talk about when did the flood happen and what was 
was on the boat because we know the answer to both those two. So when, the time, or our cruise itinerary. (laughs) The Bible tells us the date that Noah entered the ark in Genesis 7 verse 11, around February 17th, 600. The Bible also records the date that Noah and his family disembarked from the ark in Genesis 8, 14, around possibly February 27th, 601. So about 10 days later. No, 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 no. A year. Oh, a year and 10 days later. If you read all those numbers in there and you do the math, we know the days in between. In 7, 4, chapter 7, verse 4, it rained for 40 days. In 7, 24, the water prevailed. And that includes, that's 150 days, which include the 40. In 8, 5, the water receded. That's 74 days later. In 8, 6 through 12, they waited for 61 days. In 8, 13, Noah removed the cover, 29 days. And 8, 14 through 15, God said, come out, 56 days. So the total time in the ark was about 370 days, one whole year they were on there, which is a really long time, which is why they probably took all those clean animals. So could you imagine being shut in that ark with all of those animals for a year? And maybe you can because we've gone through pandemic. Because I have five kids. Or because you have five kids. (laughs) But I mean, that to me, just the thought of that, I'm just blown away. Right. But God sustained them. And they did it. Yeah. So that's kind of the timing. Now, the 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 what is the inhabitants? I call them the crew and guests and possible food because there were four pairs of people. They would have been the crew for sure. Noah and his three sons and all their wives. So we have eight people total. We have seven pairs of every... Cl- clean kind of animal. And my guess is that was to eat probably. I don't know. Yeah. But if they ate the animals, then how would they propagate? No, 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 no. Because there were seven pairs of every clean kind. And then there was a pair of every, uh, every kind unclean. So they only had to save one of the pairs of, of clean. Well, of unclean. No, because you can have, you can have two sheep, one yeah. clean, one's unclean. Yeah, I don't know. The, I don't know. The, well, come the on, clean, Jewish girl. The oh, clean no, the animals hat. were the ones that they were allowed to eat. The ones okay, that did yes, not have a yes. hoof. So you're right. They could have eaten six pairs of them. They could have eaten six pairs yeah. of the clean animals. Mm-hmm. And then the unclean animals that God had said, and now we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But we're getting to Moses. We are. When, when God gives Moses all the rules. But some animals were clean and some were unclean, unclean. which is why they could eat yes. some and not others. I just don't know what the tigers were eating, but it's okay. We won't go there. Okay. God must have just sustained them. I don't know. I don't know what the tigers were eating. Okay. So if you read a lot, and there's so much out there about this, but some people estimate that you could fit 50,000 animals on the ark if the average size was that of a sheep. However, however, it doesn't say breeds of animals. It says kinds, because of course, back then they didn't have the the word even breeds. So not all breeds could have, would have had to be represented. So there could have been a whole lot more animals than what we imagine when we just say it's these numbers. No, it could have been a lot less because now we have categorized animals as different breeds. So for example, we have how many breeds of dogs? But it doesn't say that every breed of dog was on the ark. It just says kinds of animals. So does that mean two dogs or does that mean lots of dogs? I don't know. But if you go with the estimate of kinds, not species, and you take out all the sea creatures, because remember, they were just happy in the in the water. They didn't need to be on there. 
and most insects, because you know those bugs, they can live in through anything. How could they not have left the cockroaches, please? Yeah, I know, right? Why exactly. They, they probably survived in the water. Um, <laughs> you have 1,400 kinds. That's not a lot. And under 7,000 animals. So you drop from 50,000 to 7,000 animals, which is not exorbitant, I guess, for a boat that's the size of three football fields. It still seems like a lot packed into a boat. It is. And again, how did they have enough food? How did they feed them all? I don't know. It sounds like a lot of work for eight people to me. Mm -hmm. To manage all of that and to maintain the animals and make sure that they were healthy. Mm -hmm. No vets on board, but that's okay. God's going to sustain them. All right. So that is the when and the what of what we do know. We've got the how, the, the when, and the what. All right, I want to just briefly touch on the science behind the flood. There are so many discussions out there about this. We could do a whole other podcast. Most of them revolve around what type of flood it was, whether regional or global, because there is archaeological evidence that there had been a flood. And so we just don't know, was it literally just, you know, one of the seas around there or was it a global thing? We don't know. Well, isn't there also archaeological evidence of actually finding the ark? You know, I've heard that. I haven't investigated because it always seems like there's some big thing about it, like a documentary, and then they never really find it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I would guess there wouldn't be. And here's why. Here's my theory on why you'll never find the ark. If I were Noah and I had spent a couple hundred years or so building an ark with lots of great wood, I would have taken that thing apart and made a city out of it. I would not have left it there. Why would you have all that hewn wood and leave it up there to rot? You've got to build houses. You've got four families that all of a sudden need shelter. And so, um, yeah, I would start dismantling that thing as fast as I could. Because you think you needed it. Well, yeah. It's How else are you going to, I mean, it's already, you got nails in it that you could reuse. I, I, did they have nails back then? They must have. Everything was, everything in back in the day was always reused and repurposed. Right. This is just called being smart. We're the only ones who live in a society that throws everything away. So we're never going to find that arc, in my opinion. One of the other theories that uh, very famous people believed in was the comet theory. And they feel like a comet may have caused the, the flood. Now, Isaac Newton and the mathematician William Whiston were big supporters of that. You can go read all of these theories. They have been, you know, fought for and against. And so there is no clear in my mind accounting for it, except that we do know there was a flood. All right. I want to talk about something even cooler to me, the symbolism of water in this flood. So water is a really big topic in the Bible. And this is not our first mention, but it is our first kind of symbolic mention. It's water is actually mentioned 625 times. Uh, So think about it. For example, some great verses about water in John 4, 13. You read that, Heather. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Very symbolic, pointing to Jesus or the Holy Spirit. And John seven thirty eight, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And first Peter three twenty, which which mentions our hero to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built in it. Only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism and now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward 
God. So Peter here is saying that the flood symbolized a baptism. The Lord was purifying the earth again. The flood is the first symbolic use of water in the Bible, not the first mention. We know in Genesis 1-2, the very second verse of the whole Bible. And then again in 6, we have the first mentions of water. And we read that the world was covered with water because the Spirit hovered over the waters and God separated the waters to create heaven and land. In other words, there was water everywhere and no order to it. It was that chaos that God then organized and separated. Fast forward to last chapter, chapter six, man gets kind of crazy and God says enough. I'm going to start over with the water and cleanse the earth of wickedness. That's that baptism we just heard about. Then in chapter seven, where we are today, all of the wicked die and the righteous one, Noah, is spared. Now, here's where this points toward Jesus. In Luke 12:50, Jesus said this, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He isn't talking about his John the Baptist baptism because that was recorded in Luke 3.21. And that was a happy occasion. So what is Jesus talking about here? He's in distress about it. Many commentators believe that Jesus is speaking of the baptism of pain and suffering called the Passion of the Lord. If you've ever seen the movie, The Passion, It is an actual thing. It's not just that movie. It's called The Passion of the Lord. The baptism of, this is a baptism of one who is in deep waters over whose head are passing waves of agony and sorrow. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross was his submersion under the dark waters of chaos. Just like the people in the flood. Okay, but flipped. Check this out. The flood, in this flood, the opposite happens. You don't die, you come back to life. It's flipped. Listen, in Noah's flood, the wicked die and the righteous one is spared. In this flood, Jesus's flood, the wicked are spared and the righteous one sinks beneath the waters. Bible bender. Yeah. Is that so cool? That's a Bible bender. His death becomes an ark for us to shelter us from eternal pain and sorrow. I love that. Water is going to reappear as we read as a symbol of trouble, a symbol of eternal life, a symbol of the Holy Spirit and of purification. It is just another one of those themes that is layered into all the many themes that all tell one story. So if you're on that path, you need to get off that path. You just need to find the water. Exactly. 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 It's, It's just a really cool thing about the Bible. I love that we are only seven chapters in and we're starting to see so many layers of different things. Well, and yet and they all point to Jesus. I Right. I was going to say that. I love that you brought in here that verse in, in Peter mm-hmm. where he talks about Noah and the flood. And this is the reason that we start and learn all of these stories from the Old Testament because the Jews knew them and that they're all intertwined. And as we saw in our very first episode, Jesus was there in the beginning and he's there all the way through all of these stories too. And it's hard to read the and understand the New Testament without reading the Old Testament. It just really is. All right. I have one cool thing I want to add to the show notes for those people who like patterns and things like that. Uh, The story of Noah is written as a chiasmus 
And I know, I know, I know. (laughs) So a chiasmus is a literary device, which just kills me that they even knew this back then. But and it's used a lot in the Bible in which ideas are presented and then subsequently repeated or inverted in a symmetrical mirror like structure. Chiasmus are all throughout the Bible and they're used to clarify and emphasize key ideas and themes. They kind of tell you that this is not a mistake. This is not an accident. What we're trying to tell you is so laid out that it it mirrors. So a really short example of a chiasmus in the Bible is Genesis 9. We're going to get to it next week. Whoever shed, sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. It's three verses up and three verses down. So it's kind of like stanzas, like I should say, acronym. not verses. What are they, is that what that's called? That where you take the first letter of each word and you turn it into something? Is that well, what you're doing here? No. So whoever sheds is stanza A. And then at the end you have B shed. So whoever sheds the blood of man, three going in one direction, by man shall his blood be shed. Maybe we need to read the verse to understand. You got to look at it. I'm going to put in the show notes. So from Noah 6, 10 to Noah chapter 19 is a much longer chiasmus. It starts with Noah and it ends with Noah. Next, it goes to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then in the end, it ends Shem, Ham, Japheth. So I'm going to put this diagram in it. It's just a fun thing to look at when you see that not only are the stories that are woven and the themes in the Bible miraculous, the writing itself is so planned, so intricate that again, I just want you to know as I do, this big greater book, the Bible, was not by accident. It was all planned and it was all penned by God. Totally. Well, a lot of reading this week a lot of verses and a lot of visuals for you. So make sure you go check out the show notes and review all of that because you will understand this all in a deeper way when you do. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.